You're listening to the expository preaching ministry of Kootenai Community Church, located in Kootenai, Idaho. We pray that Christ is exalted and your spirit is blessed by the teaching of God's Word. For more information about Kootenai Church, please visit us online at kootenaichurch.org. through the end of verse 14 together. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. Let's bow our heads together. Our Father, we come now to your word and we pray that you would teach us those things that we do not know and make us the men and women of God that you desire us to be. We pray that as a result of our time here together, that your grace would be upon both speaker and listener and that our hearts would be united together to fear your word and to fear you and that we would be changed and taught this morning as we look at your word together. We ask your help in this to the glory of your name, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, two weeks ago, we actually arrived at Philippians 4.11, as we're going through the book of Philippians, and we stopped because we're camping on this one word, contentment. And we're digging deep and plowing deep, and we are, as it were, trying to take this, this concept or this word contentment and blow the dust off it and polish it up a little bit and see what it is and see how we gain contentment and the, the, the genuineness of what contentment means to us and the importance of contentment in a Christian walk. And so we're doing that again today. Last week we started to look at, or at least just defined for you, what contentment is. Today I'm going to describe to you what that contentment looks like as it's lived out in life. Because we really want to ask ourselves the question, if I have contentment, how does, how does that enable me to face different situations and conditions in life? What What does it mean to be content and what does it not mean to be content? What am I kept from doing if I'm content and what am I allowed to do if I'm content? So that's that's what we're doing. And last week we contrasted biblical contentment with the idea of contentment that was prevalent in Paul's day among the pagans. And remember, I mentioned last week the Stoics. The Stoics had a had an admiration for the virtue of contentment. But to them, contentment was more of an ability to dig way down deep inside of yourself and face whatever the impersonable winds of fate blew your way. And they would look at a man who was able to face the waves of life without flinching and without whining and without bickering or complaining because of some inner resolve that he had. They would look at that and they would describe that as contentment. And they valued that because to them that spoke or at least showed a man who had Tremendous ability, tremendous inner strength and inner resolve and depth of character and depth of, of person. And so they would admire somebody who had that quality. 
But Paul is not talking about the self-sufficiency that the pagans valued as contentment. The Apostle Paul is using the word contentment, but he means by something by that something entirely different. Not a self-sufficiency. A sufficiency, yes, but a Christ-sufficiency. That's why in verse 13 he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. What Paul is describing is that inner character, that virtue, that relies upon Christ and gains all of its strength from Christ. It is seeing in Christ everything that He is worth. He is valuable. He is a gem. He is sufficient. And the ability of a Christian to say, if I have Christ, I have enough. That's what Spurgeon meant when he said a man is able to be content when he knows that God is for him everything and with him in all of life's circumstances. So that in whatever condition I am in, I can be content because I have Christ in those in those circumstances or in that condition. Now that was what we saw by way of defining what contentment is. And we saw, as Paul says in Philippians 4.11, that contentment is something we have to learn. I have learned to be content in every circumstance I am. Do you understand that God is intent on teaching you contentment? If you are saved, God wants to teach you contentment. Actually, He is teaching you contentment. You're either making that a very easy lesson to learn or a very difficult lesson to learn, depending on how you're responding to the lessons. But He is teaching you contentment. Because it's a valuable virtue and it's a virtue that God wants us to have. He wants us to model that. And from the moment that you get saved, He goes about teaching you the lessons of contentment so that eventually you would be able to say with Paul, and I would be able to say with Paul, I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself. Contentment is as essential to the Christian life as learning to read is to the rest of our lives. What would you think of a parent who didn't love their child enough or didn't care about their child enough to teach their child to read? Any parent worth their salt knows the joy and the blessings that come to us as individuals when we know how to read. Knowing how to read is foundational to everything else, and there are so many things that are opened up to us and so many joys that we receive from just being able to read and to read well. What would you think of a parent who didn't teach their child to read? I don't, whatever, don't care. You would say that's negligent. That's unloving. That's uncaring. That's being a poor parent. Well, what would you think of God if He, knowing the blessing that contentment would bring to us, did not endeavor to teach it to us? Contentment is not something that comes to us naturally. It's something that we do have to learn. And maybe you're discontent even with having to learn contentment. Don't you just wish you could be content? I do. I say to myself, why do I have to learn this? Why is this something I have to cultivate? Why is this something that just is there? Can't, why can't I just wake up tomorrow and be content? And to never be discontent ever again? And if it's such a virtue and such a blessing, why do I have to labor at cultivating and developing this virtue of contentment? And it brings up another subject. Are you ever discontent with your discontent? You ever look at yourself and say, man, I wish it weren't so. I look at my heart and I see the discontentedness and the grumbling and the complaining and the lack of satisfaction and I think, woe is me and it vexes me. And I'm so discontent with my discontent. And if discontentment is a sin, then is it a sin to be discontent about my discontent? To put it another way, is it a virtue to be content about being discontent? To say, I know I'm discontent and I'm a grumbler and I'm a complainer and I moan and I'm never satisfied, but I'm fine with that. That doesn't bother me. I'm content with that. I'm happy that that's the case. Are you content with your discontent? And that sort of raises a subject and it's something we need to clarify at the beginning because somebody asked me this at the last, at the end of the last message. Is all discontent wrong? 
All discontent is not sinful. There is a healthy discontent. Let me give you an example of healthy discontents. It is healthy to be discontent with my discontent. And it is healthy to be discontent with my own spiritual progress and my walk. That is a healthy discontent. To look at myself, and honestly, if you're not discontent with your own spiritual walk, you're going to stop growing. Woe is the man or woman who says to themselves, I'm fine with where I'm at. I believe I have attained. I don't need to grow in holiness. I don't need to grow in contentment. I have nothing else I need to learn. I have no more progress that I need to make. And I'm quite fine just being who I am and where I'm at. And and I've served the Lord enough and I'm done and I'm happy where I'm at. You're never going to grow if that's the case. So you can't really grow or progress spiritually if you're content with your discontent or with your content with your spiritual life. So one healthy form of discontent is to look at your own spiritual life and listen, be vexed by what you see inside your heart. And to say, oh, I have so far that I have to grow. So much I have to learn. I'm discontent in that way with myself all over the place. Let me give you some illustrations. I'm discontent with my own knowledge of Scripture. I look at my Bible and I say, man, what i got to learn, still what I have to learn. It's just unbelievable. I'm discontent with my own prayer life. It's not as passionate as I wish it was. It's not as regular as I wish it was. It's not as long or lengthy or as intense or specific as I wish it were. It's not as, I'm not as faithful in prayer as I wish I were. I wish I had more time in the day to serve the Lord. I wish I had done more for the Lord by the time that I've reached this stage in my life. I'm 30-some years old, and, and I haven't served the Lord but how many years? And I look at that, and I'm discontent with that. I'm discontent with my own teaching and preaching abilities, my own study disciplines. I'm dis- discontent with everything that I do, spiritually speaking. It irks me, discontent with it. I take consolation the fact that Paul is discontent. He said, I, I don't consider myself to have attained, but what? Press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus, that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. Those are not the words of a contented man. Those are not the words of a man who thought he had arrived and thought he had attained spiritually. Those are the words of a man who wanted to passionately pursue Christ so that he could know Christ and the power of His resurrection, the fellowship of His sufferings, that he might attain to that that which Christ had called him toward. And that was at 65 years old, or roughly that, after being a Christian for 30 years, of Paul's level of maturity. He wasn't content. Paul wasn't content with one missionary journey or two or three. And even while he was on his third, he was planning a fourth one through Rome all the way to Spain that never came to fruition. He was never content with what he had done or where he'd arrived. And he wouldn't be content until all peoples had heard the gospel. So it's okay. That's a healthy discontent. But there is also a healthy discontent that's discontent with sin and its effects. You look at the world and are you content that justice is not done? That righteousness is not exalted? That God's Word is not honored? That His name is blasphemed? That people do not honor Him? Can you honestly be content with that? It's healthy to be discontent with sin in our world and its effects. And there ought to be something in us that groans with the rest of creation until we are set free from these bodies of death with the resurrection of the body and the recreation of the new heavens and the new earth in which righteousness dwells. So that's a healthy discontent. But do you notice the difference between healthy discontent and sinful discontent? A healthy discontent is discontent because God's righteousness, His truth, His holiness, and His glory are not manifested. They're not honored. Healthy discontent is not a sinful discontent or selfish discontent. It is a selfless discontent. A healthy discontent wants much made of God and nothing made of me. A sinful discontent doesn't care if nothing is made of God as long as somebody is making something of me. Do you understand the difference between those two? 
So is all discontent wrong? No, there's a healthy discontent. So can you be discontent with your discontent? You should be. And be content with that. So now Philippians 4, verse 11. We're coming back to Paul saying, I have learned in whatever circumstance I am to be content. We've defined contentment. Contentment is a Christ sufficiency. It is being happy and being content. Now we're going to describe contentment for you. Several months ago, I ran across a book, and I meant to bring it here this morning. The book was titled, the book is titled, Oh, oh The Rare Jewel of Christian, it really had an impact on my life, let me tell you. The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment by Jeremiah Burroughs. It's a Puritan paperback written in 1648. And I'll tell you something, nobody writes like the dead guys. All of you should be reading the dead guys. There's nobody alive today that writes like that, like the Puritans did. The rare jewel of Christian contentment. little paperback, it's about three quarters of an inch thick, but it feels like when you're reading it, it's like three inches thick because it's just so rich, so good. And the first time I saw that book, it was sitting on another pastor's desk in his study. It was on top of a a stack of books. And I was walking out of the office and I saw it sitting there and I, I glanced at the cover and I knew it was a Puritan paperback because all of the Puritan paperbacks that are published by Banner of Truth all have sort of a similar look to them. And I saw The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment by Jeremiah Burroughs. Jeremiah Burroughs is one of those old-fashioned 1600s type names. And I noticed that it was an older book, and I I saw that sitting there, and I thought to myself, I've got to have that book. I will not be content until I get that book (laughs) on contentment, and I have read it. And there is a bit of irony there, and I realized that after I left, because as I was before I even got out of the office, I was plotting when I was going to buy that book, because I knew that Philippians 4.11 was coming up, and I wanted to have that book on Christian contentment. And I will confess to you that I'm drawing heavily upon Burroughs' work. Because reading through that book, as soon as I got it, I started reading it. Reading through that book was what really helped crystallize my thoughts and exercise my heart on this issue of contentment. So you're going to get the benefit of me reading that book. At least I hope what I present to you is a benefit. You're going to get the overflow, I should say, of me reading that book and what it did for me. I'm going to begin with Burroughs' description of contentment. And then he spends the rest of the book, this is on page one, then he spends the rest of the book illustrating this from Scripture and showing how this is how this is drawn out in the rest of Scripture, this issue of contentment. The Bible says a lot about it. So this is what Burroughs says. Now listen, because every word is every word he spends a chapter on. So they're they're all well chosen words and they're important. Christian contentment is that sweet, inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit which freely submits to and delights in God's wise, fatherly disposal in every condition. Christian contentment is that sweet, inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit which freely submits to and delights in God's wise, fatherly disposal in, er, disposal in every condition. The first significant thing about describing that, and just with that description as a background, let me sort of highlight some parts of, some sides or facets of this rare jewel of Christian contentment. First of all, it is an inward grace. It's an inward grace. That's what Burroughs says, and he's right. Contentment is not just the refraining from complaining. An individual may refrain from complaining and never be content. You may run across somebody who never says a word outwardly. They suffer affliction. They go without. Life storms come at them and they never say a word about it. Not a word of complaint. You may never utter a word of complaint to God, to your friends, to yourself, to the mirror, to your spouse about anything 
and still be one of the most discontented persons that's gathered here today. How is that the case? Because contentment is not an outward refraining from complaining. Contentment is an inward position of the heart. So a person may not say a word of complaint about what's going on in their lives, but inwardly they are a stewing cesspot of complaint and discontent and resentment. They'll never say anything outwardly about it. And outwardly they look content. Outwardly they look happy. Outwardly they look submitted to the hand of God and to the grace of God. But inwardly their heart is boiling over with discontentment and a rancorous spirit of complaining. Contentment is not just the outward display of the heart condition because the outward display is not always perfectly indicative of the condition of the heart. But contentment is the attitude or the position of the heart. It's not just what's on the outside. And contentment is not something that is created or or manufactured by things that are on the outside. I want you to imagine for a second that you have somebody who is discontent. And they're discontent because they have a want or a need or they're going without or they desire something or they're under affliction or they have a circumstance or a situation which is is ill or adverse for them and so they are discontent and they're complaining and they're grumbling. Now let's say you step up to the plate and you see some that person who's discontent because of what they want or discontent because of the condition that they're in and you do something to provide the want. So you give them what they want or what they need. And then you do something to change their condition or their situation. And all of a sudden they're content. Are they? Content? Is that contentment? The stirring all of a sudden has gone away? They no longer say anything about their condition? You've changed their situation? You've provided what they have needed? And the discontentment has gone away? Has the discontentment really gone away? The outward manifestation of the discontentment has gone away, but the discontented heart is still there. It was just the outward circumstances which gave vent to the discontent of the heart. And all you did was step in and change the condition of their circumstances or provide something that they wanted. You didn't do anything to change the heart. All you changed was the outward circumstances. And even though now they may not be expressing their discontent, the heart is the same. It's the same with children. It's the same with children. When we had a child, it was one of my policies never to give my child something if they were whining or crying about it or grumbling about it. They want to do something and they're whining about it and they want it, whether it's food or whatever it is. We would always take the time to settle them down and make sure that they would content themselves, at least outwardly, because you can't deal with the heart all the time in those situations, that they would at least settle themselves down and stop the whining before we gave them what it was that they wanted or what they needed. Why would we do that? Because I don't want to reward the whining. And I don't want to just remove the condition of the situation that's causing them discontent because then they begin to mistake contentment with having everything outside. That's how we raised our our children. Didn't work. All four of them are still discontented, but they still have that discontent. But that was sort of the philosophy behind that. You You don't just change the circumstance in order to get them discontent. You ask them to content themselves before we gave them what it was that they needed or what they wanted. There's a reason for that. Contentment is an inward virtue. It is, the, it is the position and the posture of the heart. It's really good if we are able to not complain. The man, If you're able to control your tongue, if you're able to control your demeanor and the words that you say so that you never offer a complaint, all of that is really good. But friends, it goes beyond that 
Contentment is not just the outward refraining of complaining. It goes to the heart. And that's where you and I as believers have to look inside at the heart and examine it and test it and say, ask ourselves, is my heart really content? Look, I have, right now I have everything that I need. I have a means of transportation. I have clothes on my back. I have clothes in the closet. I have a house to live under. I have food and all of that. And I'm going to go home this afternoon and I'm going to eat food in my wonderful house. I'm going to drive there. I don't have to walk out in the cold. I have a coat to put on. I have everything that I need to be content. And you may look at me and say, man, he's a really contented individual. But then i got to ask myself, if something were to come, my house were to burn down and and consume everything that I have, both of my cars were to stop working, and I were to be stripped of all my worldly possessions, would I still be content? See, that's the test. Just because I'm not complaining right now doesn't mean I have a contented heart. And only you and God know what the condition of your heart is, whether it's content or discontent. It's an inward virtue. The second thing that Burroughs highlights about contentment, not only is it an inward virtue, it is a habitual virtue. You've met people who can be content one day and not the next. You've met people who are happy one day and not the next. You've run into the person who wakes up in the morning, has a good cup of coffee after a good night's sleep, has a hearty breakfast, heads out the door, man, it's chipper and it's, he's in a good mood and nothing could stir up his world because everything is a Captain Kangaroo, Mr. Rogers' neighborhood, and no matter what happens and no matter what may come, he's happy and hey, just fly by the seat of your pants. Yesterday that would have sent me off the cliff, it would have pushed me over the edge, I would have gone postal and driven my truck into a bridge embutment, but today, no, today nothing can shake me. That's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about the Anthony Robbins, Joel Olstein type of perspective on life where you just be happy and put on the Texas grin and greet every situation in life as if it's all happy-go-lucky and everything's fine and you just keep that good positive attitude and life will keep rolling along. That's not contentment. Contentment is not an emotion. It's not a mood. It's not a way or an atmosphere in which you wake up in the morning. It's a condition of the heart and it's habitual. And every single day, you're the same. You're just that solid individual who has learned to be content. Whether you wake up in a good mood or a bad mood, you're content. It's inward. There are some people who seem naturally content. You run into those people? They just have a natural disposition, a natural wiring about them that, hey, nothing stirs them. Nothing stirs them. You can smash into their car and they laugh about it. They just don't care. You can insult them. They don't care. Take something from them. They don't care. Burn down their house. They don't care. Fire them from their job. They don't care. They just have no... They're never discontent. They just seem to have this natural disposition, this natural wiring that they're just happy-go-lucky and nothing stirs them. Nothing puts them off kilter. You met people like that? That's not biblical contentment. Pagans can have that virtue. Pagans. I know pagans that are like that. Unbelievers. That's not biblical contentment. The difference between being naturally, quote-unquote, content and spiritually content is the naturally contented individual who seems to have that disposition will react the same whether they are crossed or whether God is crossed. Let me quote Burroughs. I will give you just one mark of the difference between a man or a woman who is content in a natural way and one who is content in a spiritual way. Those who are content in a natural way overcome themselves when outward afflictions befall them, and they are content. They are just as content when they sin against God. When they have outward crosses or when God is dishonored, it's all one to them, whether they themselves are crossed or whether God is crossed. But a gracious heart that is contented with its own affliction will rise up strongly when God is dishonored. It's the difference. 
Take what you want from me. This would be biblical contentment if I had it. Okay, and I'm saying I have it. I confessed that last week. But this would what biblical contentment would look like if I had it. I would be content or happy no matter what you took from me and no matter what you did to me. Cross me, dishonor me, sin against me. I will be happy with whatever lot comes my way. But when God is dishonored, there's something inside of the contented man or woman that rises up with a holy indignation. Cross me, that's one thing. Cross God in His name or His word, that's something entirely different. That's biblical contentment. The naturally contented individual won't do that. They're just apathetic. Sin against God? I don't care. Burn down my house? I don't care. It's all the same to them. But a righteous contentment, a biblical contentment, rises up when something dishonors God. It's an inward grace. It is also a habitual grace. Third, it is the freely submitting to, this is in our description, it is a freely submitting to and delighting in, listen, God's wise, fatherly disposal in every condition. See, it goes back to a view of God. How do you view God in your mind and in your heart? This God that you worship, do you view Him as a wise, fatherly figure? If not, you can never be content. But the contented individual views God and says, He is my Father. He is wise. He is good. He is holy. He's righteous. He's true. He's kind. He is benevolent. He is a benevolent sovereign. He is a good ruler. And I will gladly submit myself to His wise and fatherly disposal of every condition. But the discontented heart says, I do not believe that God is wise or that He's kind or that He's good. And therefore, I will not submit to what He allows to come my way. And so it's discontented. And unless you view God as that wise Father who righteously and goodly and wisely disposes of all things in your life and every condition, you will not be content. And you know why? Because there will always be something in your mind and always something in your heart that says, if I were on the throne, I could do a better job of disposing of my life and my circumstances and my conditions than He is doing. And if I were on the throne, I would deal more righteously and more justly for my good. There's something in the sinful heart that says that. But until you view God as the righteous and good and wise Father, then you will never be willing to submit to Him. You will never be content because you will always be bumping up against things that you cannot control. Things that you cannot control. And if you can't control them, then you'll want to rebel against them and you'll resent them and you'll hate them and you'll wish you could change them and you will rancorously complain against God to have them changed. So it's an inward quality. It's an inward virtue. It's a habitual virtue. And it is that wise, that is, it is, sorry, that free delight in submitting to his wise and fatherly disposal. So what does that look like in my financial situation? You find yourself in financial straits, very difficult time. Maybe for you it has to do with how you've used your money. You were a bad steward or made a foolish decision and now you've made a bed that you have to sleep in. By the providence of God, that is His providential will for you that you would learn something through this. And so you too ought to be content with what you have and with where you're at and learn the lesson of it. Maybe the financial situation that you're in was something that you couldn't foresee, something you didn't bring, something that didn't happen to you as a result of anything that you did. Somebody else brought it upon you or somebody else did it to you. Or just the events that came in the course of life and that's the season that you're in right now. It's the same thing. Be content with what you have and learn the lesson that you have to learn while you're there. 
What does contentment look like when you stand in front of the doctor and he says you have a terminal disease and you'll be gone within six months? What does contentment look like then? You know what contentment looks like? Contentment says, Lord, if that is how you have decided to dispose of me and my situation, I will submit myself to that and I will take that from your hand because you know better than me, you're wiser than me, you're kinder than me, you're more just than me, you're more righteous than me, and you know better than me. And so I will submit to that. Some of you have had that diagnosis. And you know that we're not playing around. What do you do? How do you, what does contentment look like when you're in perfect health? Well, it looks like what many of you have right now. You're happy for it. But listen, understand something. You have no inalienable right to perfect health. And that could change next week. And so you take from his hand, whether it is adversity or affluence, you take it from his hand, from his wise, fatherly disposal, and you are content with it. That is, you find your sufficiency in Christ, and you are able to submit it yourself to him, your heart, not just your response, but your heart, freely and joyfully, delighting in whatever it is that He has brought your way, whether it is adversity or whether it is affluence, whether it is want or whether it is prosperity, whatever it might be. You submit to that and you take it from His hand. You thank Him for it. In the heart, not just in what you do outwardly, but as a matter of the heart. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. Because I think like some of you. Not all of you, but some of you. And I know that there's questions in your mind, and so let me raise two questions and then answer them. The first question is this. Okay, Jim, I understand that contentment means that I am, I am delighted in Christ and I willingly, joyfully, delightfully submit my heart to the hand of God and what He as my Father brings into my life. I understand that. But now, does that mean that I can never offer a complaint to God? Am I never allowed to complain to the Lord about the circumstances I find myself or the afflictions of life? And the answer to that question is either yes or no, depending on what you de- how you describe complaint. If by complaint you mean a rancorous, rebellious, vindictive, hateful spirit, then no, no, that's not allowed. But if by complaint you simply mean unburdening your heart to the Lord and looking to the Lord from whence comes your help, And explaining to the Lord, Lord, you know how I feel about this. You know I don't enjoy this. You know I don't like this. You know this is difficult for me. You know the adversity that I'm under. And I wish this would pass from before me. And I do desire that you would lift me out of this circumstance and deliver me. Because this is not good from my perspective. I'm not enjoying this, Lord. This is difficult. But if you are able to do that with a heart that is submissive and quiet and still before the hand of God and willing to accept from Him, what may come your way, if that's the condition of your heart, then you are free to unburden yourself upon the Lord, to cast all your cares upon Him, for He cares for you. Am I free then to complain to other Christians? Because some people may walk away from here and say, well, I can never say a word about anything I'm going through to any of my brothers and sisters in Christ, lest it be interpreted as me complaining to them and not being content. Am I able to complain to my brothers and sisters in Christ? And the answer to that question is, Once again, it goes back to the heart. But yes, you are able to do that. You are free to do that. You are free to do that. And Paul did that, by the way. You are free to do that in order that your brothers and sisters in Christ may know the burdens that you're bearing and be able to bear them with you and help you out and be able to encourage you and sustain you and be there for you and pray for you and maybe be of some use to the Lord in ministering to you in a time of need. So we are free to 
complain, I'm, I'm looking for a different word than complain, but offer a complaint or an explanation of our affliction or our situation to our brothers and sisters in Christ, so long as it's not a rancorous, rebellious, unquiet, disquieted spirit within us that does it, but in order so they might know and share that burden. We're free to do that. Now, the second question, not only am I free to complain, and yes, you are, if that's by complain you mean a quiet spirit. The second question, am I then, if I'm going to be content, does that mean that I am never able or free to do anything to improve my condition or to change my condition? Let me offer you an example. If you have a financial need, and right now you are at a time of want, and you have bills that need to be paid, and you're under distress right now, and a lot of things going on, and along comes a business opportunity, or along comes a job, or a, a part-time job, or side work, or something that you could take, and that would, man, that would be just exactly what you need, and you're trying to get out from underneath of your burden, financially speaking, are you, should you just say, no, no, thanks, I don't need any help, I don't need any opportunities, I don't need any work, I'm just going to be content with the poverty that I'm in. Is that biblical? Is that contentment? That's not contentment. What if you wake up in the morning and you say, man, I have a crushing headache, which I do, till I have coffee. You wake up in the morning and you say, I have a crushing headache, but I'm just going to take this headache from the Lord and I'm not going to do anything to alleviate my headache. Don't be an idiot. Take some ibuprofen and alleviate your headache. Just because something happens in your life does not mean that you should not seek deliverance from it. Or maybe you have a medical condition. The doctor diagnoses you with this medical condition, but then he says, we would be able to treat it. Or there are some things that you could do that would alleviate your suffering. Should you say, no, I'm going to be content with what the Lord has brought me and I'm not going to do anything to alleviate my condition or to improve my lot. Is that contentment? It's not contentment. You ought to be willing to accept that from the hand of God and do everything in your power to alleviate yourself of the situation or the condition in which you find yourself or to improve your lot. And this is what Paul did. Did Paul ever complain or talk to other people about his burdens or his difficulties? Sure he did. You read through his epistles and what do you find out? He talks about physical infirmities. He talks about the afflictions and the distresses and the dangers and the difficulties of everything that he faced. He told all of that to anybody who would listen and to all of the Christians. Not by way of complaint, not by way of discontentedness, but he shared it with them so that they could know what he was going through and be of some service through God to him. Did Paul ever do anything to change his lot? Do you remember in Acts chapter 20 something, starts with a 2, 20 something, the plot on his life in Jerusalem, and Paul heard about it through his nephew. His nephew came and said, look, Uncle Paul, there are 40 people who have banded together and they've taken an oath not to eat and not to drink until they have killed you. What did Paul do? Did he sit back and say, well, then I will be content with the danger and I will not do anything to improve my lot. Paul didn't do that. Instead, he told his nephew, go tell Lysias, the commander of the forces in Jerusalem, what is going on. And Lysias spirited him away out of Jerusalem to Caesarea under cover of nightfall. When Paul was in Caesarea and the Jews wanted to bring him back to Jerusalem to try him there in front of Festus or Felix or one of those guys. Boy, it's been a long time since we've been out of the book of Acts, hasn't it? He wanted to try him back in Jerusalem. And Paul knew they want me back in Jerusalem so that they can ambush me and kill me. Did Paul say, well, I will just be content with that and I will not do anything to step in and alleviate my affliction or to change my law? Did he do that? No, he pulled his trump card out and said, I appeal to Caesar. See ya, I'm going to Rome. That's what Paul did. Paul did a lot of things to improve his lot and to get himself out from underneath of affliction. It is completely legitimate for you and I to offer our complaint to the Lord with a quiet spirit, being willing to submit and accept the answer no from the Lord's hand, 
and at the same time pray to God and ask God for deliverance, expect deliverance, look up to the Lord from whence comes our help, pray for and hope in deliverance from my circumstance. But all of that has to be done with a heart that is freely and joyfully submitted to Him. That is what contentment looks like. So now we have defined contentment. We have described contentment. But we still haven't answered the question, how do I get contentment? And we will do that next Lord's Day. Let's bow together in prayer. Our Father, we thank You for quieting our hearts this morning before You. We thank You that You are teaching us this valuable virtue. We pray, God, that Your Word would do its work in our hearts and that we would see in Your Word all the, all the warnings against grumbling and murmuring and complaining and we would take those to heart. We pray also, God, that You would help us to quiet our hearts and submit them to Your hand to trust in You as a fatherly, a wise fatherly God who loves us and cares for us and is kind to us beyond measure. We thank You for Your grace to us in Christ and every day is evidence of Your love for us. And we pray that we may not return to You discontent and complaining for that love that You give to us. Give us the grace this day we ask and energize our hearts to serve You and submit to You in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church. If you'd like to learn more about Kootenai Church or to donate to our church ministry, you can do so online by visiting KootenyChurch.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and pray you'll join us again next time. Once again, thank you for listening.